podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It is the Friday show. It's Neil Atkinson, uh, joined in the room by Luke Davies, by Phil Blundell and Fuad Hassan uh, to work through your weekend's fixtures. On the blower, we've only got, and it's a bit of a funny one sometimes how the fixtures break, we've only got, but I say only, he is obviously marvellous, Jack Collins joining us. Uh, but we've got Luke and we're starting with Man City versus Everton. Um, that Tottenham game, for me, Luke, I thought it really felt like a, a needed performance from an Everton point of view. Uh Prior to it, Everton had only scored, I think, four goals all comps since Christmas. They didn't just score goals against Tottenham. They also created chances and looked lively. And it looked to me like a bit of a sea change for everyone. Yeah, it did. I think it was a game sort of... It was a game of periods, patches. It was at points we were our usual selves. Like, we went lumping the ball in the box. Obviously, there was a plan behind it. But there was obviously a plan to put pressure on Vicario and goal. And it, it worked in the first half, but then, I don't know if you've seen the second half, he was doing the same thing, but Jack Harrison wasn't doing the same job. He wasn't standing on top of Vicario. But then the two goals in, in themselves to a plan, it was a ball in the box. And I think we're the second most goals that behind Arsenal in the league for um, goals from set pieces now. Yeah. So I think that sort of going forward, even into the City game, it's what you're looking for, really, because we're not going to outplay them. We're not really creating chances in other ways either. And like the striker, obviously Calvert Lewin, better or even Schmitty last weekend. It's it's not clinical enough at the moment. So that our best bet is looking at set pieces or at least getting the ball on the air. The other thing that happens in the game as well is that Everton really hang in there. Uh, you don't let yourselves have a period second half where you're second best despite the scoreline, which I thought made a massive difference because it's a funny Spurs side, a Spurs side that side that you can break a little bit, and then finally as it sort of wears on. The opportunity is there, but it felt like everyone felt sniffed on the pitch. And again, I think almost in a way for the first time in a while, as though there was a chance there that Everton could. I, I actually think on 70, I think that it, some of those Everton players didn't think they could just get one point. I got the impression they thought that all three were still available. Yeah, I think the fans as well. You can tell the atmosphere yeah. uplifted, but then again, Spurs, like people forget they had chances as well. It was one where Werner went through in the second half and Pickford saved it. It was one-on-one. He never looked like he was going to score because Werner never looks like he was going to score. <laughs> but then there's another one as well. Pedro Porro had a shot from outside the box. Pickford made a good save. It's, it's sort of every week Pickford's having to keep us in games in order for us to just be there and then get it to the last 20 minutes and then have a proper go then but at times it's frustrating because by that last 70 minutes some of the players especially Dwight McNeil last weekend he, he just looked dead on his feet to be honest he looks like he, he doesn't have much more to give he was playing in the middle as well like, I don't know it's just it's sort of one route at the moment and then if that doesn't come off there's not really much else there Dobbin does well though when he gets on he does but again I think Dyke doesn't really trust him as of yet I think going forward into that City game, it, it very much is a free hit in, in some ways, especially with the selection. I think I would give Dobbin a, a go. I've, I've watched him for the 23s, and he's a level above a lot of the under 23s, but I think he's still only 20, 21. It, it's bridging that gap between giving him enough first team time, but then giving him too much where it might destroy his confidence because we're not one of the, them teams where we're free nil up all the time and you can blow the youngster. Like There's a lot of pressure on him. Is there a is there a pressure in general now that Souls are hit from the extent to which Luton look like a really viable outfit, including the perform, not just the win at Goodison, because they, they win at Goodison earlier in the season and you felt like it had just been a smashing grab all the way through. But in the cup game for an hour, uh, they were really impressive, Luton. So is there a bit of a sense of a bit of growing pressure around how viable they look as an outfit? I think there is, but the sort of the idea that oh, they'll run out of steam. I don't know. A lot of people sort of suggest that they're galvanised by obviously what's happened to Tom Lockyer. But I think it's how long can that last? You've, you've got a lot of players that have a former time. At the same time, you've got Barkley. He's playing in a more deep role than what he did at Everton. He's dictating play, but it's 
with, with Barkley, it's how consistent can he be throughout his career. He's had these little small patches, even at Nice, at Villa when he was on loan there as well. So I think everything's come together for them at the right time. And now we're, we're in a bad vein of form. We haven't had any wins in six now. And it's start like in the league anyway. And it's 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 not a rot. It's just you can't really see where the next win's coming from. And especially this weekend. I think the interesting thing about those six games, though, is there's no sort of bad ones in them in terms of unacceptable results. Drawing at home to Villa, that's all right. Drawing at home to Tottenham, that's all right. Losing away to Tottenham's not the end of the world. Losing at home to City's not the end of the world. You know, Fulham and Wolves, you'd ideally like more than a point from. But it's not, it's not, it's not awful. It's just a sort of, it's a, it's a tough run and sometimes you get tough runs and you don't get as many points as you like. It's obviously... Everton should want more points and should think they could have got more points, especially with, you know, the Spurs away game, for example. By all accounts, it wouldn't have been unjust if Everton had actually won that game, for example. I'd, I'd, I think Everton dominated it last weekend as well. Just, I think it's just, it, it almost feels like it's just a bit one of those runs where there's no, there doesn't seem to be any room for concern for me in terms of how, the, how it's looked. It's more like, okay, the results, you want better from the results. But the performances have looked like there might be something there that when the fixtures get a little bit lighter, they're better. I think the frustrating thing is, though, I can think back to moments in them games, match-winning moments, like Calvert-Lewin, one-on-one against Martinez against Villa. Should have really won yeah, the game. That's that's true. Beto's chance later on against Fulham, heads over. Should have really mm. won the game. Even Dan Juma's shot that somehow defied gravity <laughs> and come down off the bar and get that spares away. We should have got something there. Yeah, it's still, just, still it's no frustrating. Idea that one didn't go in. <laughs> that's what I mean, though. There's, it's just like, there's no like luck. Something on the Discovery Channel about that, how that <laughs> didn't go in. But you say, like, that's six games then. Yeah. Bypass. Mm. So what if that happens in the next six? What position that, are we that, in that then? That is fair. Yeah, that's fair. But as part of that, the, thing, the one thing I think as well with it is the bodies question for me Luke I just think that yeah. there's been times where there's and your point about McNeil earlier on looking knackers I mentioned Dobbin you know the idea of him being able to come in and contribute but one of the things I've sort of noticed fitness is a really funny thing because I think that it's not the idea I think there's been some games where I th- I've there's been bits in it where I've thought Evan look goose deer and then they finish quite strong but there's still 15 in the middle where the opposition do look quicker to things and all that sort of stuff and when that keeps happening as a pattern I refuse to believe a Sean, a Sean Dyche side isn't as fit as it possibly could be I think there's just a thing where loads and loads of these players when you actually look at the the number of Premier League minutes they've played they're into, they're into quite mad numbers you know you're in a situation where where James Garner's already on on 2,100 minutes over the course of the season. You can say he's a young lad, but he's never had a load like that. Tarkovsky's on 2,300 minutes. Again, he's got a bit of experience of it, but now he's 31 years old. You know, as you go through, I think there's a lot of load on a lot of these footballers. Yeah, I think it's throughout the team now, and then yeah. it comes to fruition with the injuries that we've got. Like Dyke just said today in his press conference, Gomez is still out. He, he's always injured. He come back for a few games, look good, injured again. Decore came back against Villa. Then he's out again. Um, Onana's like back on the grass, as Dice always says. But he loves back on the grass. <laughs> he loves, yeah. Because it's because it's, it's not saying yeah, he's definitely back, but he's yeah. near, he's close. But yeah, again, another player, Onana. It, he's just these little niggly injuries coming up all the time. But then it's getting to the point where you've got someone like a 37, 38 year old Ashley Young playing on the wing. Like he's he's not really offering much, especially against City away there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I take the general point. I think there's another thing, Fuad, with Everton, Decore being mentioned um, and his vicinity to the grass uh, with Sean Dyche <laughs> being, being a big deal. has been. I just think you've also missed the importance of him. This sort of set of, of circumstances where Everton should do a bit better 
all of them, you feel like if any of those ones had fallen to Abdullah Decore, the ball would have ended up in the back of the net because that's the sort of footballer he is. I think he's such a miss. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there's a, there's an intensity he brings as well, isn't there, in terms of not just following up from those chances, but I feel like you know he's experienced and he's a bit older. He, he, he reads moments in games, when to go, when to sort of press a little bit. And I think that midfield that against Spurs, you know, what, what is it, Ghana? Um, Gay and Gay, Harrison, Gay and Harrison. yeah. So, so it, it is a little bit lacking that experience in that sense, and having that that linchpin who connects both both attack and defence. And yeah, the chances for the chances for to him, the Calvert, it, It's almost the thing with Calvert Lewin where he can he can occupy, he can cause that bit of distraction where the chance does fall to a midfielder who you know he, he has hit form, hasn't he? In the, the, over the season, I, from everything I've seen of him, he, he's become really clinical. I felt like last year he was he was a lot more sort of hit and miss with we're taking chances, but that's that's definitely changed. So. Yeah, he, he is a big miss. I, I, the one thing I would say, though, watching that Spurs game is that in the first half, as much as Spurs looked good in patches, it was two chances, two goals, really, wasn't it? I mean, Richarlison's really clinical in, and how, how many times can you say that about him where he he scores two brilliant goals and and that was it, really. So I think if you keep it to that, then then there's, there's more than enough scope to kind of cause opposition problems. And I think, you know, regardless of energy, Everton have enough to sort of do that. They have that. This game against City obviously isn't going to go that way. The, part of the, the Decore thing, Phil, is I've got the stats bomb numbers up in front of me and um, he's this season, expected goals 5.6, number of goals 6, uh, which isn't some sort of outrageous overperformance. It's just actually rounding up. Everton as a team, expected goals 36.6, number of goals 26. Um, so expecting them to be 10 goals better off at this point. And when you are facing someone like City, and I think this actually happens in the the, the, the home game, uh, that was just before Christmas, there's a period of pressure at 1-0 Everton where if there was someone to have taken a chance to have got on the end of something to have made it 2-0, the game could have gone in a different direction. And I, I think there's a bit of a funny thing that keeps happening to this Everton team to, to Luke's point about, you know, they're not getting they're not getting themselves 2 or 3-0 ahead to bring on someone like Dobbin. They're not, not only are they all putting a lot of load on a lot of these players, all the games are going deep. All the games are going long. In a way, almost like getting whacked by wolves took the pressure off for a brief period in the game because they couldn't get back into it. It was all over by the shouting. In so many of these games, I think one of the things that's happened to this Everton team is there's constant scoreboard pressure and that's where the points deduction also comes into it. Yeah, and the, the, as you say, that, that XG is bad. That probably that can't be far off worse than the league. The, the difference, I mean, not the, I might be able to not find the that XG, out. but the actual yeah. difference between the two, that's just... A level of wastefulness there, and I know there's talk that without the point production, never going to be. But twelfth is it twelfth or something like that? Yeah. But with average finishing, that probably puts Everton seventh or eighth. That's average finishing. That's not good finishing. We're talking average finishing here. So when you're not finishing, when you're finishing that below par, you, you make things more difficult for yourself. No, I think you think of this game last season where Damari Gray scores. What was I think? It might have been Everton's only shot. It was certainly only shot on target. And if you end up in situations like that, it's got to go in. Whereas what Everton are doing now is it's not, not shooting themselves in the foot. It's not the right, not the right way of looking at it. But it's it's a it's a problem, and it it's almost in a crude way, it's almost not a bad thing that they're managing to get where they are with that. If that makes any sense, because if you're all right with where you are, points wise and performance wise, to an extent, with that level of finishing, eventually that will just go right because that's how that's how finishing works ultimately isn't it at some point you finish badly sometimes shots will go in that shouldn't go in as like like the Damari Gray one from last season for example so they've just got to get get that fixed and I think I, I almost feel like Calvert-Lewin's really weird one I think about that period he had under Ancelotti where Ancelotti he, 
had worked out that if you basically put the ball in the six yard box, Dominic Calvert Lewin will get on the end of it and he will score. Like I think it was the start of the season where there was Dina, there was Rodriguez, there was somebody else, and all he did was just put balls into the sort of between the penalty spot and the goal. If you go and look at a shot map from Calvert Lewin from the start of that behind closed door season, it's just, it's astonishing. So I've been confused why Everton haven't sort of tried that a bit more and been a bit more aggressive that way because it feels like they're, they're doing some things right but maybe not to the best sort of getting the best out of the player like Calvert-Lewin for example it's very, very clear to me from that period that there's a particular situation he thrives off and it doesn't look like he gets put into that particular situation a great deal and he's put into other situations where like I've seen, like the Martinez one for example where I, like I thought he didn't quite get the ball out of his feet properly well when the ball's just hanging into a into space you don't need to get the ball out of your feet you need to attack the ball feels like he's better attacking the ball and there needs to be more attacking of the ball rather than what it is it's not it's not you know it's not the biggest problem in the world ultimately Oh, it's yep. Yeah, by the way, uh, Evernardo, I've, I've got the biggest gap between uh, expected goals and um, actual goals uh, over the course of the campaign. As a whole, the league's actually slightly overperforming on goals versus XG, which is quite interesting, uh, by about four and a half goals uh, as a league average uh, across the course of that. And as sort of just said there, Everton are uh, 10 down when the league average is four and a half up uh, per team, which is, I'd say, uh, a little bit concerning. Um, City have this thing going where. It's a good win against Brentford, but they conceded first again. They conceded first at Goodison, uh, as I said before. Luke, the manager's getting a lot from Foden. I thought they found themselves a little bit second half at Goodison uh, just before Christmas, in that I thought they really decided, they just decided to relish the battle of it and threw themselves into it. And I actually think that's, it's the underrated bit of the Guardiola team, is that at times everyone's just so desperate to talk about the tactics. There's times when they just stand up and are countered. Uh, stems from Rodri, I thought it stemmed from Rodri in that second half. Alvarez, big character, you get that impression as well. And that's another reason why they're obviously, it's obviously, you know, a, a, a really, really difficult fixture. Yeah, but I, I think the difference we've seen of the reverse fixture at Goodison was there was no, there's no De Bruyne, no Haaland, and it's very likely that both of them are going to play on the weekend. Um, Haaland was quite quiet against Brentford, I thought, but you, you just see from De Bruyne, have you seen against Newcastle at, at St James's, he can just change a game by just yeah. playing a ridiculous pass. And I, I can't see a game against a team like Everton where he doesn't just sprinkle out a little bit of magic on it or Haaland does get two or three chances, especially with our defence. I just can't see... I can't really talk positively or even try and say we're going to get out anything out of the game without sounding stupid. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think that game was that game was odd the other night, I thought, in terms of we all have an image in our head of what Manchester City looked like. That wasn't a Manchester City team that we you have in your head. Like... If you look at the chances that they created, there was I think I've just looked there were three with an XG of higher than 0.1, and two of those Brentford went here you go would you like the ball one of them was the Harlem one on one when I think yeah. it was Jensen or someone basically just played the ball back to him and he ran through, the other one was the Foden goal where Ethan Pinnock sort of loses his bearings and heads the ball to him. What you have in your head as Manchester City is opening teams up, getting in behind, cutting the ball back somewhere near the penalty spot and they scored. I don't I don't think they even had a chance like that the other day. Never mind the goal like that. They didn't have a chance. A lot of it was everyone was like, wow, they're making the goalkeeper work here. They were taking loads of low percentage shots from outside the box now. It might be that they identified a weakness with Flecken, but they were still doing that. And I'm not used to watching Manchester City pepper a goalkeeper with goal, uh, shots from 25 yards. It was just, it was just a bit weird. And if... 
it, it, it sort of, I feel like it gave teams who are willing to dig in and fight a little bit of an, a blueprint for what you could do against them. Maybe you can only do it at home, I, I don't know. But it wasn't Rip Roar and Manchester City cutting teams open at will and so forth. And you know, the goalkeeper wasn't saving one on ones, was he? Ultimately, I think he has one of those that he has to save. Well, that he does save. It's not saying that they're, you know, I think they're bad or they're going to get beat three nil or anything like that. But I, I, I do feel a little bit of the the takeaways from that match was a little bit not necessarily an accurate reflection but of the game and how we see Manchester City. Before I bring forward in though, Phil, do you think there's a little thing where because there was a package about him on Monday Night Football where they maybe just didn't fancy the keeper? And the keeper in the end saves a lot of stuff, but I thought when we faced Brentford earlier in the season, we decided we didn't face the fancy the keeper. Mm. And I think sometimes aside, you know, there's a team meeting before the match and have a few shots at this lad early is is and it's the most Sunday league instruction ever, <laughs> but it's true of all football at all levels. If we're not sure if this fella's any good, yeah. but maybe we test him out a little bit. Do you not think that, that might no, have been I, played a part? Yeah, in it? I absolutely I agree. That could that could well have been a thing. I'm just sort of saying. But you know, they're not gonna do that to Jordan Pickford, are they? So does it mean that yeah. they were doing that because he didn't feel confident in working space in behind the defence or or what? I don't I don't know. It might be a rebound thing as well, isn't it? In terms of yeah, he's a good enough keeper. Harlan will be, yeah, yeah, will be right on it. That's fair. No, I, yeah, I, I think that the thing that gave me a bit of encouragement, maybe more wide. I, I don't know if Everton quite do this with 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 the sort of players available. Maybe they can. Is is the idea of playing of leaving two kind of up top in the way Brentford did uh, at times and having you know a, a partnership like that, which seemed to sort of cause problems. And they're, they're different players, Tony and Mope and. And look, you know, Mope is not the most consistent, isn't he? And and like, you know, he he showed really good elements in that game. But I think that is probably the way to go to go with him. And it, and it probably requires a bit of bravery, obviously. But also playing at home helps with that and is linked to that. Uh, the keeper was a bit funny as well. I thought Edison was a little bit. He comes out a couple of times and doesn't look quite himself. And you know, they, they get away. There was a one when Bernardo Silva basically has to make a. Yeah, challenge stops someone yeah. having to go an open goal, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, and and I think that's like, look, that can happen with them. Uh, obviously, it's away from home. That's 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 the big thing there. And when they're at the Etihad, they're complete different beasts. But yeah, the Haaland thing almost scares me a bit more. The fact he didn't score because I thought he was, it was almost that thing. Sometimes what we say about Nunez and in 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 how he sort of occupies spaces and occupies uh, defenders where which leaves gaps. And I thought Foden sort of literally scored a goal off that didn't he I think the third one he scores very much so and, and then the, you know even at 2-1 possibly I the thought, first one as well you know yeah the first one as well to yeah, an extent yeah. because it, they're all worried about him and it exactly and, and then you know if you have someone like De Bruyne there the passage opens up even more then doesn't it in, in terms of feeding that that's that second player through uh but but at 2-1 there was encouragement i thought i thought i thought brentford had a few good chances there was there was a couple of sort of attacks where you know you, you thought they could get one um they weren't ruthless enough in those moments, and there was there was you know a couple of good kind of bits of defending. But I, I still have it in me that 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 City defense, as good as they are, there is room to sort of mess with them a little bit. As physical as they are, as technically good as they are, I still think there's a little bit of an element of of, of shakiness there. It's John Gibbs from the Anfield Rap with a read, courtesy of NordVPN. NordVPN have been partnering with us for a while and we really appreciate their support and I personally really appreciate their service because there is lots of benefits to using a NordVPN. Uh, first of all, shielding your data from snoops and criminals. It helps shield your IP address and secures your online traffic with state-of-the-art encryption. You can protect yourselves on public Wi-Fi. Uh, so if you want to catch up on your favourite shows or podcasts on hotel Wi-Fi, uh, you can make sure you're the only one listening. It is also 
router available on all your, your devices. Uh, so you can set it up on up to six devices with a single VPN subscription. And also, one of the favourite things about it for lots of people, including me, is listening and watching all your favourite shows abroad. So if you are in the UK and you'd like to watch something this weekend, maybe it's Saturday at three o'clock that isn't available on the UK, in the UK, sorry, but is available to watch in other countries. You can download the NordVPN, access um, different TV networks across the world and enjoy football that way. It also works when you're traveling, of course, so if you don't want to miss your favorite TV shows, whatever they might be, you can use the NordVPN to help you access that wherever you are in the world. Um, we have got a special offer for them as well. Um, so get your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash TAW nordvpn.com forward slash TAW there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee and you'll help support our podcast as well uh, the link is also in our episode description below thanks a lot to Nord again and back to the show on to the 3pms and obviously we'll start with Liverpool Burnley uh, Phil, I feel like the week's no bad thing uh, for Liverpool off this one obviously Thiago aside the players who are back from injury get themselves another opportunity to reset do some more work get themselves ready um, I think that it's that Arsenal game, regardless of the results, always looked to me like the end of a run of games, uh, one that you you yeah. put a line through and then the next thing starts, arguably runs all the way through now until the until the March international break is something to get ready for. That's what I think Liverpool have spent the week doing and just refocusing in and saying whatever that was on last Sunday doesn't happen again. Yeah, totally. I, I, I'm totally with that. I, I, I wasn't too big of a fan of the idea of having a game midweek to get out of our system straight away. I felt like it's it's one where we haven't, you know, it's it's not a game that we we shouldn't have lost. You know, it, it, it's a game that you, you can lose and, you, you know, you could still play well and lose. So there is there is that to it. it. It's not the end of the world. And I think, you know, there's enough level heads for that to have come through in training and things. And we get players back. You know, I, I saw pictures of Endo and I completely forgot about him. And then and there he is back in, back in Liverpool kit, back in acting. The, the good actor. thing is he wasn't injured, so he's just match fit. Exactly. He just had a few games out in the in warm weather to, to get him back into full rhythm. But no, it, it, it's good that we had that time. I think they would have learned a lot, won't they? And I think if we were to have our game where where you know it, it isn't a great performance and it isn't a great result both at the same time, then that is one way you can sort you can you can accept it and you can think, well, they're just going to be so hungry on Saturday, aren't they? They're going to be so at it, um, and it might be even be one of those which we haven't seen many this this season where it is a fast start. It is one of them where they sort of let let themselves out the track very very early on and very quickly it's it's one obviously the day the fixtures come out for Liverpool are expected to win it uh, as you get closer to it with the way that the table is Burnley haven't been the best of the promoted sides they're very much second or third best in that regard it, they're highly unlikely Burnley to, to be able to muster any sort of sense of a relegation battle that said they fought like demons against Villa at home uh, didn't give it up when there was loads of reasons to give it up um, Fafana Brace sort of galvanises a team and there's also the other element here, which those players themselves, or some of them, will be being told by their agents. There's nothing I'm gonna put a performance in at Anfield with an eye on next season. I don't. I I don't feel as though I think there's every chance that Liverpool get the fast start. Uh, I think if Liverpool start against these as they started against them at their ground, and Burnley start the way they started at their ground against Liverpool on the game of Boxing Day, I think Liverpool absolutely cruise it. I think if Burnley have got a bit more of a plan and a bit more gumption, then it could be one where maybe a bit of doubt could set in. I don't think we have... that. We, we shouldn't be giving them the ability to put a plan into place. We should just walk onto the pitch and beat them. And I don't know, it might sound arrogant and whatever, but we're just better than them in every area. And these are, they are... Let's, let's be honest they're one of the poorer Premier League sides we'll play that's not to say that we will just automatically win we have to actually do it but they they know what they're 
the carrot on the end of the stick is here. They know that how they need what they need to do at the end of the season to achieve what they want to do. And it's win games these comfortably. You you want to, you want this game done after sixty really, so you can have you can basically rest because we're not getting rests midweek most midweeks. I know we get one after this, but most of the time we're playing with game, 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 game. They've also they also know that there's cup final places up for grabs. They, they've got incentives. They've got huge incentives here. So we've just got to go up there and be aggressive from the off, I think, and not give them a sniff. Because let's think of that game at their place, what, six weeks ago. Should have been 5 0 at half time. Yeah. The, the goalkeeper makes three or four great saves. We have a goal so well. disallowed that I'm sceptical about. We obviously we were 1 0 up anyway. But then we don't get the second goal and we end up sort of not, not hanging on, but you gave them hope. So you'd like to think that they can retrospectively look at that game and go hang on we nearly didn't win that not because necessarily they created the game of the chances but there was a position where they could have created the chances we can't let that happen again you've just got to go out there and have this game done as early as possible and then and then go from there and that's the same for we've still got the, we've still got the three promoted teams who are probably going to go straight down all at home this season the starting point for the rest of the season nine points from those three games Anything else is just—it's unacceptable. Anything else is quite literally unacceptable. There's no, there's no mitigating <laughs> factors. I don't think. Uh, just quick, um, you start centre half next to Van Dijk. Gomez. Would you start Gomez? I start Gomez. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd go Gomez. I mean, I, I wouldn't be against Quanta, but I feel he's more comfortable on Van Dijk's side, isn't he? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just intrigued. Uh, you start. What's your start midfield? Endo McAllister Jones. Yes, I. Might be a shout for Elliot. In this one, uh, Elliot was the only Elliot instead of Endo was the one I yeah. was thinking possibly, but okay. McCarthy further forward would be nice, I think. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see and go from there. Obviously, front three probably depends on the fitness of Salah, which we don't know because this is pre press conference. Is that fair? There's no, there was, he wasn't in training picks properly today, I don't think. I might oh, not be, but that doesn't mean he isn't in tomorrow, but it probably means that if he's not in Thursdays and Friday, he probably doesn't start. Probably doesn't have that on the bench. Yeah. Uh, just quick, if on, was Bradley in training picks today? I don't know. I don't think he was. Uh, if Bradley was available, would you consider playing Trent Alexander-Arnold in Sabozlai's position and have a look at it? I would consider it, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, interesting to sort of rattle through there. Uh, and I thought you were going to say would you play Trent centre-back or something mad like that for a second. <laughs> no. Like, what? Uh, I would probably start Quanta, by the way, just solely off the basis that I think there'd be no bad thing with just Gomez having a... A, having Gomez off the bench to be able to do something with Robertson or Trent if yeah. you feel as though you need to. Uh, and also, B, just the fact that he's he's played a hell of a lot of football uh, over an extended period and there's That's nothing fair. wrong with him having a game where he gets to, to watch because I would definitely be starting him at Brentford. Uh, absolutely no shadow of a doubt on that one. Uh, in, need to pick a team of giants there don't we I am uh, Cody Gakpo number 6 yes the, the biggest set of footballers we have available <laughs> please uh, it's like, like going to Alton Towers there's height requirements um, <laughs> as to whether or not you're involved uh, other 3pms uh, Luke Luton Sheffield United it's massive for the home side they, ha they have no easier remaining home game um, to the, the point of the Luton juggernaut I think is a really interesting thing in that I feel as though Luton are going to keep picking up points until they don't which I know sounds like the most ludicrous sentence anyone could ever say but what I mean by that is I feel as though they've got a wave at the minute and as long as they keep riding that wave I think they'll be picking up points you know three games in five maybe even four games in five as soon as they fall off the surfboard I do wonder if they might find it a bit difficult to get back on so they've got to make sure on Saturday against Sheffield it, it's the fact that they've now got the advantage though the, the, the one point ahead of Everton currently with two games in that well like one game in hand let's just say Everton will get beat at City they beat Sheffield United 
that's them four points with a game in hand. If they win their game in hand, I think that it's Bournemouth, Bournemouth away. away. Yes, yeah, so that that's they could get points there. That, that that could be five to seven points then. So it's but yeah, I think the same. I think it's a form thing, it's a purple patch where I think overall Everton are a better team than Luton. Even though we've been beaten twice at Goodison by them this season, I think personnel wise we're a lot better, but I think they seem to believe in themselves a lot more. Kind of with Rhodes, become a bit of a fortress, and that's exactly what Goodison isn't at the moment. So I think at the moment it's sort of advantage to Luton. They they look like throughout they're enjoying the football, and I think that this is the biggest deal. The other two, you know, Burnley last weekend coming back from two 0 down a side. The other two to me have just cut quite a sad figure of yeah. the promoted sides from time to time. They just look looks like everything's miserable, and. You know, there's lots of aspects to management and God knows Liverpool supporters are talking about a lot of them at the moment. But there's one thing that a manager does, which is create the weather. And it looks to me like the, the weather Edwards has created around that squad all the way through the season has been just really, really strong, upbeat stuff that I think is part of why they're able to go to Newcastle and score four yeah. and not not be put off by the way the scoreboard goes. Totally. I, I think the home thing is huge. You know, like, like was mentioned, you know, you look at the two other teams in that in that bottom three and, you know, Sheffield United and, and Burnley, they've had miserable times at home, haven't they? They can't even really count on any big draws. I think Luton have had that where early on in the season, you know, they, they gave everyone, all the big six teams, I think, a game, a real good game. They obviously get a point against us. And there's obviously already the story before that of, you know, they're coming into the Premier League and everything and I think that's massive because it just it just gives that bit of not just belief but it feels like oh there's a bit of a purpose there's a bit of there's a bit of hope really and I think there's there's such a lack of hope in in the other two teams at home I don't think I think Burnley have won one in the league all season uh, and Sheffield I mean every time it, every time they go one or two down it's it, it turns into five really doesn't it um, so that's that's really big and I think yeah like you're saying that the, the riding the crest of the wave thing's huge because I think when you're a team in that position where suddenly it didn't look like there was hope the point deduction happens whatever else then there is that little bit of th- light that you can see and I think that purple patch was always going to come at, at some point it's about making it's about how long this purple patch lasts isn't it more than anything and the the, the idea of winning that game I think is, is very different to the other ones because maybe now there's a little bit of an idea of well this is this is our home banker in in a sense uh, well it has to be and I, I, I don't know if that will change the mood because I think the mood is like you're saying they are enjoying it they aren't they aren't scraping by the, you know, the skin of their teeth they are going out and scoring four goals away at, at Newcastle they are you know they're beating Brighton as well and you know it's it's really kind of convincing victories in that sense. So I think I think there's enough sort of confidence and sides like that when they do get that, especially at their own at their own ground, it counts as an it counts probably more than it does to to, to one of the sort of big six teams at home because it's this it's this idea of you know beating a team that's so so lacking any kind of confidence in any form. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it continue for a bit longer. I think the, the key thing is to play without any form of pressure or expectation. Are they the the big thing I think with them? going back a few months was when they figured out sort of what they were, what was sort of acceptable, what they needed to do and just sort of how they were. Like I I, I think I remember I mentioned this a couple of times before but I watched them, they played Burnley, I think it was the start of October. Burnley ran them ragged for the first half. It could have genuinely been 3 or 4-0. Second half, they could have won the second half 4-0 and since then it feels like the two teams like trajectory just got in the complete opposite direction like Burnley went like Luton went hang on this is what we need to do and then Burnley went hang on 
that's Luton doing that to us. Everyone else, what's everyone else going to do? And it sort of, it just spiraled from there. Whereas now they're just like, oh, we're going to score four goals at Newcastle. Like the players are playing with no pressure at all. They get the key thing for Luton is if they get relegated, the manager's not going to get sacked. The players aren't going to be like cast off as failures. They're all. It makes such a difference. That's the that's when you talked about Luton and Everton before. I completely agree. Everton man for man are, yeah. are considerably better than Luton. Everton's players are playing with the pressure of, of like we can't go down here. Luton's players are like well, if we go down, don't matter. We we'll just come back up next season. We'll all be sound. It's just it frees them up, and it, it's it's almost nice to see because I think loads of teams come up and they do what Nottingham Forest did in terms of they change things a lot. Or the light, right? We've got to stay up here. Whereas they're like, oh, do you know what? If we go down, it doesn't ma- doesn't matter. They're already heroes, aren't yeah, they? Exactly. <laughs> Most of them. Exactly. Well, that's, that, that's what the pressure has taken off with the yeah. results. Uh, the other, other three PMs relatively quick. Spurs, Brighton could be an absolute belter. This <laughs> Luke, I'm actually <laughs> amazed. I'm stunned it's not on telly. Uh, the previous one finished four two when they played each other recently, and that was it was an excellent game where it was four two. But I think but Spurs got four 0 up. But it could have been two uh, two. It was genuine end to end stuff. I think Spurs versus Brighton at the minute in this climate. I think it's exactly the sort of thing we need to ignore the weather. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun fixture. <laughs> really is, as yeah. you just mentioned, the previous fixture was as well. But a few stats as well. Um, Spurs have scored in the last thirty five Premier League games. Wow. But um, Brighton have conceded 21 goals in the last nine away games. So you'd think there, there's going to be a lot of goals from that. I think Spurs are fun. Spurs have conceded 27 in the last 14 league games. Exactly. Wow. Which is a lot. That's a lot of goals to concede. It's gonna, I think it's going to be great. I'm absolutely amazed I'm that no one's... I'm going to definitely back nil-nil after we've had this. And <laughs> <laughs> now I'm genuinely amazed that no one thought this will be... You know, It's got Saturday half-five written all over yeah. it. Why, why on earth has this happened? I think there's a lot of footballers for both teams. They're just fun, aren't they? They might be a little bit inconsistent. Even James Madison, he looks like a player that he just enjoys playing football. And not everything he does is rational at times, but he'll have them little sprinklings of magic, like the little flick to Richarlison the other day, and Richarlison just doesn't think and just hits it, <laughs> and it goes in. It's just, I just think they're really fun to watch, to be honest, Spurs at the moment. I can see why they're fans, even though they, had, they, they did have that little bad run-up before Christmas, after Christmas, why they're just, they seem happy, Spurs fans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, keep your eye on Monday. It could be the day that Martin Samuel writes the piece that James Madison has a got to go to the Euros and start, and that B Spurs build the, the team around him. Build forget the team around him. Forget Bill Foden. Forget Jude Bellingham. Forget Harry Kane. It's build, James Madison. Build the team yeah. around him. And B Spurs are the most fun, the most fun and arguably best team in the country, despite being behind Liverpool, Manchester City, and Arsenal. Uh, that could be this Monday. Keep it out for that Martin Samuel piece. I've called it all season. It's on its way. Uh, Wolves versus Brentford. Fuad. Brentford are increasingly looking like a team who could just do with something it's only one win uh, in the last five uh, 22 points from 22 games a lot of hard luck stories along the way um Molyneux not necessarily where you want to go for that type of thing but that said it does allow you to have the idea of well let's just turn it into a big scrap and see what we get yeah and, and that's what they're geared for aren't they? they they are geared for a bit of a scrap they've lost that efficiency Brentford I think yes. uh, their prime I feel like there was that efficiency and in all areas of the pitch you know the midfielders were were very good at midfielding and, and you know the, the strikers were very good at striking um, uh, the pace wingers, is a big issue wingering wingers wingering yep. yeah, yeah. This, the pace, is, this is the content they pay for isn't yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> the pace that was free this don't worry the, pa- the, the pacey lads are no longer pacey because no. they're, they're all injured yeah or in Africa <laughs> yeah um, I think will they get will they get Wissa back no probably not right he, he, no he's only... still in he's still in yeah. he's still in oh yeah. right okay they're in the fourth place player apparently yeah, the oh players. yes of course yeah, yeah. yes just... yes 
I found out this yesterday and I was like, I th- can't figure out how angry I would have been if I'd have watched Mohamed Salah yeah. get knocked out in the semi-finals <laughs> and then find out he couldn't play because he's got to play in the fourth-place playoff. Yeah, well, it would have been mind-boggling. Uh, been, I mean, I'm generally against them anyway. <laughs> but the idea of turning them into an impediment to other things would have been a bit too much. Uh, but, but, I th- but I think like that, that that is a thing, isn't it? Losing that pace, they feel very sort of blunt almost on the wings and I think that's that when I've when I've seen them at the best that's been a big kind of part of the play Tony's a lift Tony will give them hope and Mope what as well the world's greatest shit house oh yes <laughs> what a guy he's having a good time <laughs> what were you doing to him last season like, <laughs> I took all the fun out of him just to be himself he needs to come back just to be humbled I think to be honest <laughs> <laughs> he can do six months there six months here every year <laughs> um, but but well I love Wolves I really love Wolves I think that I think Gary Gary O'Neill I keep calling him Gary Cooper so I'm stopping myself every time. Every time I get close to saying a second name, uh, he, he, he's he's done brilliantly. I, I think they're a really good team to watch as well. Like even when they have to dog it out, there's still that excitement. I mean, Neto's a fantastic football player, um, and they're just re- really well set up. And I think it's one where they will probably look to take onus of the game, and that might suit Brentford in terms of striking on the counter, making it a scrap, uh, and unleashing the the, the front two. By, by all means, text in if you disagree with me, but I would make a genuine argument that pound for pound, uh, point for point, if you prefer, um, the most missed footballer in the country is Rico Henry uh, and has been over the course of the yeah, season. Yeah, he almost got the other night, in fairness. Yeah, well, but they've got, they've got, yeah. now they've yeah. got that, now but they've got that. Yeah, yeah. it could not be yeah, different. Sorry, yeah. up to this point yeah, in the that, season, I, think I genuinely think if you look up and down the table, unless there's something... Yeah, man, Billy said that oh, months ago in terms of when he was out, he's like, we ain't got anyone else and he's important to the way we play. Yeah, and... He he's been proven, nailed that one. He's been proven emphatically right. I think pound for pound, he has been the most missed footballer uh, in the league over the course of the season. As I say, by all means, text in if you disagree, uh, and we can go from there. Uh, here is Jack Collins on Fulham. Joined by Jack Collins from Fulhamish uh, to talk about Fulham, and we're going to look ahead to the weekend's game at home to Bournemouth. But before that, I'm going to start with the away game at Burnley. Mm. I was surprised the lead was thrown away. Now you were away uh, in his worth pointing out, but. Normally, in those instances, it's felt to me like this last couple of seasons under Silver in the Premier League, when Fulham have been given that sort of inch, they do make sure they take a mile. Were you surprised by it as well? I think the thing is that, you know, Fulhamish in its entirety, if you will, but it, there there has been a sense that that's gone away. That said, we are cursed at Turf Moor. 1951 was the last time that Fulham won at Turf Moor. It just, it just doesn't happen. And suddenly at 2-0, they're like, wow, we're going to break the curse. We broke the Goodison curse a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of years ago. And since then, it's been pretty happy sailing when we've come up to the blue side of Merseyside. But Turf Moor, we just can't seem to get away from. We lost 2-1 there a couple of years ago when they didn't have a shot on target, which was a particularly dramatic uh, <laughs> virus of, of this one. And look, more, more of the same, I think, at the weekend. I, I agree. I think the thing with Fulham at the moment is it all feels a bit after the Lord Mayor's show. Yeah. The Liverpool game and that semi-final was so crucial to everything that Fulham were going for this season. And I'm not, you know, sitting here crying about it because getting to a semi-final and actually the two legs, I thought Liverpool the better side, Fulham probably had the better chances and the deflected the deflected goals obviously sit heavy, but, you know, the better side won at the end of it. That's fine. But I do think that since then it's all felt a bit like, oh, oh, oh. And, and now I think it really is a case of just making sure we're secure and getting to the end of the season. There's one game that I'm looking at the rest of this season, that's Brentford away, where I'm like, wow, I'll be completely and utterly up for that. That's not to say I'm not going to go to them. You know, I'll be there at once three o'clock at the weekend, kicks around, yep. you know, be as, as in as the rest of them. But I do think that it feels like the kind of main event has passed us by and now there's four months to go of the season. That's a weird place to be. 
I just on that, one of the things that struck me when I was looking at the the forthcoming fixtures uh, was first and foremost a couple of home games on the horizon, uh, all very nice. But also, and I think this speaks to what you're saying, is there isn't one televised for ages a Fulham game now, and that when you talk about it being a bit after the Lord's Mayor show, this has been sort of what's concerned me through the season. Now Luton, to be fair to them, are doing absolutely brilliantly to really sort of keep it going until the very, very end. And it's still only, you know, at this point, it is only a six-point gap between Fulham and Luton, a seven going back to Everton. But Fulham to Luton is only a six-point gap. Simultaneously, it does feel as though there's so many bodies, other sides feel like much more beneath. So it is that sort of almost like just doing the curves at this point. And that, that doesn't sort of grab the imagination. No, it doesn't. And, and look, look, that's fine. I think we, we started this season without Mitrovic and I said... Fulham will probably finish 16th. What I would like from that is Fulham not to be panicking in the last three weeks of the of the season, trying to scramble for points in order to make sure. And I think we'll be all right, as you say. I think there's sides in worse predicaments who are worse than Fulham. But equally, I think after Bournemouth this weekend, and look, this Bournemouth game is by no means an easy game considering the form that, that they've been in. I think that there is a run there where Fulham could lose four or five on the trot. You know, big teams or teams going for something and it you know you have to wait into March to play Sheffield United to actually look at a game and go Fulham will win that one and whilst it doesn't wildly concern me the fact that Luton have started picking up points I don't know what's going to happen here with obviously Everton and Forest with these second points deductions being thrown around or whatever that looks like I would like not to have to worry about that and I think that this is it now for Fulham it's about making sure that this is just secure solid and trying to finish above Brentford to be perfectly honest with you that that's what's left in this season that's what we're we're looking at. And and sometimes that's okay. It allows for a rebuild in the summer as well. And, and Fulham need to start looking more long-term at this point. So I don't mind it as long as we don't get dragged into that vortex. Just then, the next sort of one, you mentioned that rebuild. One of the things that happens on the, in the end, it's a loan for Broya. Um, that feels as though that's an attempt to, at least in the short term, solve the problem of who plays number nine, uh, given injuries and obviously the sale that you mentioned before. Is the expectation from here, Broya, grabs that shirt, starts with it, or do you feel as though Muniz might get another couple of games? To be honest, that was Rodrigo Muniz's best game in a Fulham shirt, bar one against Stoke in the Championship. So I think for the weekend, it's kind of his shirt to lose. I think he starts until you know he has a bad game or he makes a mistake, well, Broja comes off the bench and scores. But I do think that when that happens, that turn will be finite. So I think he'll be given the opportunity, Muniz, to try and you know maintain good goal obviously at the weekend and also played quite well Brozier didn't really look fit he made some you know some decent runs into space but all at about 75% pace so I'm wondering if it's just going to take a little while for him to get up to match readiness and when that comes I imagine he then comes in and also there's this clause in the deal where if he plays a certain amount of minutes then Fulham don't have to pay for it I think without anything hugely on the line at this point there might be later on but right now it would feel like Fulham would do their best to make sure that they'd have to pay that money if they don't have to. My next question is about sort of seeding out from here and players who've been signed, had a couple of games, not maybe as many as you might think in the summer, and then sort of moving along. Are you, would you let, is the the two or three players who maybe haven't featured that much yet, maybe ones who are coming through, maybe younger players, you'd like to see them have a look at? Because I think your point about thinking about next season's really, really valid. The average age this season, and obviously... It's skewed by William and it's skewed by Ream. But the average age of Fulham this season is 29 uh, for Premier League minutes played. You, I don't feel as though that's entirely sustainable, especially if three strong sides come up from the Championship. 
Yeah, I've been saying this for for some time. I think the Fulham need to skew the average age younger. I think only West Ham have an older age now. Obviously, they're doing different things and they're in a different place to where Fulham are. But I don't think it's the end of the world. But I do think that when we're starting to rely on players having those Indian summers, look, Willian has been worse this year than he was last year. He still has moments and magical moments. But generally, I think that, you know, the drop-off in performance has been enough to notice. So therefore, you kind of look at, okay, what does the succession plan look like for Willian? Now, the problem with bringing young players through is that Fulham's best young talents are off on loan. So Jay Stansfield's out at Birmingham in the Championship. Luke Harris is out at Exeter City. They're the kind of players that Fulham were looking at integrating with into this setup. And I think that the fact that they're not here means that Silver will try and see this out with experience. But I do think that there is a relatively heavy turnover to come this summer. When you think about that turnover then, I mean, what, what numbers are you expecting? Uh, do you really think it could be almost unrecognisable, so it's a six or seven territory? I think it, it's six or seven changes. Whether it's six or seven in the first team is probably a slightly different question. So but the I think Stansfield plays from next season? Well, he's had a brilliant season, uh, you know, without necessarily racking up the goals and assist numbers that maybe some would say. I think the fact that Birmingham fans are desperate for him to stay, there's talk of, you know, him it was moving into a, a top half team in the in the championship in January that didn't materialize but under Mowbray I'm quite happy with him there I'm like okay that's a manager that will give him time give him moments he's playing in a front two so it's something that Fulham don't do and I think that it's going to be interesting to see how that develops because I don't think he's got the physical profile for a Premier League number nine right now but as a winger who can cut inside and score goals I think there's potential there so I, I think the expectation is that Stansfield is in the squad and make and getting regular minutes next season I think Harris might need one more loan but I think that we might see, you know, a turnover, as you say. Reem might stick around for the next year, but Calvin Bassi has, has surpassed him in terms of a starting role. Whether Tosin stays or not remains up in the air. I think we need a new centre-back either way, because, you know, that that feels like a core that just needs a little bit of shaking up. I wonder if Kenny Tete goes, considering he's now become second choice by Timothy Castagna. And then you kind of look at the attacking options, and I think Adama Traore will leave. He's basically not played any minutes whatsoever. I think Willian might finally take the money this summer and actually bobble off to Saudi Arabia and I wish him well. Um, but I think that they will need two or three you know, fresh kind of faces in that attacking line in order to to really spark things up, plus probably a new central midfielder. And then there's the Polinia question on top of all of that. Um, so this weekend then, uh, to do the thing that people like me uh, who talk about the Premier League in general have been doing for ages, Bournemouth are one of the best sides to watch, they're unbelievably yeah. exciting, they're very they're very dynamic, they win the battles, uh, they're a side that feels very much on the up, they're one point ahead of you, so you beat them, you go above them, uh, it is as simple as that, are you you know, are you expecting to beat them, are you thinking that you're going to make it make it hard for them? I thought they'd be. I thought they'd start better than they did. And what we're seeing from Bournemouth now is what I kind of expected from an Iriola team, having watched quite a lot of him at, at Baikano. I just worry that Fulham are a bit knackered. Now, I think that there is an element here where obviously we've had a week off now for the first time in bloody ages, yep. so that helps. But I think towards the end of the Burnley game, and part of that fall off, you know, alongside the curses and all and what have you, <laughs> there is an element that Fulham just look knackered, and I think the like the thinness of the squad, especially with the two lads off at AFCON, has kind of contributed to the fact that the same players have played in every single game across this course of the period from basically New Year's Eve through to where we are now, eight, seven, eight games. And I think that there is just a general kind of like, oh, wow, we really needed that breather. So I expect Bournemouth's intensity to trouble Fulham. 
at this point. But maybe that week gives everyone a, a little bit of a kick to get back into it. And you know, the things you said there, the intensity uh, and the dynamism, I think they're things that you could have applied to Fulham under Silver last year. And yeah. at points this year as well, I think we saw that at Anfield. I think we saw that in the, in, in the semifinals at the very least, or three of the four halves, if you will, that you're kind of looking at it and going, okay, Fulham can do that. So if Fulham can get to that level, I think it'd be a good game. But it's just a question of whether Fulham are able to drag themselves out of this malaise. Because actually, if you take the Arsenal win out of it, and I know people say this and it sounds a bit weird because the Arsenal win was the Arsenal win, it wasn't in the middle of it. But if you take that out of it, Fulham are actually on an absolutely dreadful run and we haven't won since those two five nils back at the, you know, the back end of November. So that's a point where you're kind of looking at it and go, oh, are Fulham on the absolute slide? This is a game you can kind of take to go, okay, we can arrest that. Excellent stuff. Let's get back over. Great stuff from Jack. Uh, moving it along, Forest versus Newcastle, relatively briefly. Struck by this one, Luke, in that Forest got a really good win at St. James's Park uh, a few weeks back. This, to me, feels like a bit of a bellwether game for both because Newcastle have managed to get back on the horse a little bit since then. I thought Forrest would kick on from that point, and there was a couple of bits around it where it looked like that was the case, but now they haven't. It's been two replays in the Cup that have had to go to extra time. They've got through them, don't get me wrong. They don't look like the shorter spirit. The thing that they look like, and I wasn't quite... I thought they, they certainly didn't look like it that day at St. James's Park. They just look a little bit short of quality. I think, I think this is one of those results that it's almost like a horse racing thing in terms of where's the form at the minute for these two. I am intrigued by it. Yeah, they both have like patchy form at the best of times, but then you think Newcastle, they've won off Villa recently as well. Yeah. But then a few weeks earlier, Forest had a half five on a Saturday and beat Man United. So it's the, the, the them teams that are a bit like Man United in that sense where there's individuals that can have moments. But I think like Gibbs White is the key one for Forest at the moment. Alanga as well, but Gibbs White. But I think he, I don't know if he went off injured or he was signaling that like he was injured last night. But he didn't have any changes to make because he'd already used them all. Yeah. But I think Newcastle kind of now, the only really focus is on the league, isn't it? I think they can really go at that again. But then another team, Isaac turns up, might score two in the greats, but then Gordon turns up the greatest. But then some weeks you just don't like the alternative fixture where Chris Wood turns into like Pele. <laughs> it's just, you don't know what you're going to get he, from By both the way, you'd really, he looked to me, the Lewandowski shout I liked, he genuinely just looked his body <laughs> shape. The fact that he was somehow running through on goal, but he's not quick, but it's all sound. <laughs> he genuinely just looked like Lewandowski, yeah. like that was it for the day. It was unreal. Yeah, I just think it's one of them games where it could, it could be like a 2 all, it could be a nil-nil, it could be 2 nil for us. They don't really know what to expect from us, to be honest. What you expect from By the way, Ion Ewey's back, uh, and Wood is actually out injured, but Ion Ewey should start. Uh, so that's, that's a massive boost mm. for them, I think. they There was a thing where, didn't he score like a ridiculous percentage of the goals, something like 45% of the goals or something, which is yeah. both useful... It's a blessing and the curse, really, because you've got someone who you can rely on to do the business for you, but you are also relying on him when he's not there. Um, and he obviously hasn't. I think he scored, he scored a pen in the shootout the other night, I think, yeah. or so. Um, he's, a, he's a huge player for them. I I, I always think that new, this iteration of Newcastle off a week, it's, it's huge for them. I think, I, I think the level to which they were not cut out for twice-a-week football, both with... The squad, which wasn't massively deep, but also the manager's style of football. It's not it's not twice a week football. And if they get back into Europe next season, then he's gonna have to they they won't be playing in quite as an intensive a European competition. But they get another they get another two games, wouldn't they? Yeah. So they're gonna have to come up with something a bit more sustainable than that because a lot of it is to do with those players being 
running to the ground is probably not the right phrase, but it's not far off in terms of you ask, he's asking them to go to the well. They can only do it so often. So weeks off are massive for them. And I, I just think they might have a little bit too much, although saying that they, you know, there's no ice there's no Gordon, there's no is Callum Wilson back. I can't remember if he came back last week or not, but he, I feel like he wasn't far away. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't far away. There's, yeah. there's, there's a number who were there or thereabouts. The Gordon himself is a little bit of a doubt. Willock's been talked about for around this time, uh, but it might not quite happen. I think Willock's quite the miss. They're having to really work Miley, and he's not good out yeah. of possession. Um, you know, there's a couple of other in there, others in there as well. They were, they're just, they're just, you know, obviously on a, on a little bit of a knife edge. It's not a place you really want to go at five thirty either. I don't think if they, they're, not, they're also in a bit of a position where they not in this weather, Philip. No. No, that's it's what it just is. wet, isn't it? You just don't want to play. In, it's, 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 it's one of those games that'll be played in black and white, and no one will understand why. <laughs> people, people think the tellies are broken the and fog everything. Will be rolling in from the trenches. Yeah, well. it'd be absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it's a brutal, brutal environment. Uh, another bellwether game for is on the Sunday: West Ham versus Arsenal. In that, Arsenal should be cock a hoop after last week. I'm sure they are. But an issue they've had is creating against quite literally this side, but also sides like them. It's a different challenge to Liverpool at home, West Ham away. I think for Arsenal, it's one I expect them to meet um, and find their way through. Don't get me wrong, not least because they will feel fantastic after last week, and that's part of what the manager's trying to coalesce together. Mm. But I think it is. I think it's it's it is a test for them. It definitely is, yeah. I mean, literally going off the, the the reverse fixture, it was it was tough in the end, and in terms of converting those chances and, and being susceptible to, to to the to the break and and the goals West Ham scored. So, yeah, it's 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 by no means a, an an easy game in that sense. But then, yeah, like you say, I, you just get that feeling that they are gonna. The manager's now in a position and, and had a, enough kind of experience in it over the last year and a half, two years of riding kind of the wave when when it comes and when it forms. And I think, you know, it, it will have formed for them. I think, you know, they, they, they and rightly so, because they've, they've won a big game. Um, but I think, I do think that ruthlessness is is the big test for them, whether they whether or not they have that in terms of finishing in, in, in the way that they do. I mean, against us, it's not like they're scoring... You know, one of the goals is a gift, and and you know the third one's a deflection. So it's not like they've carved us open and and, and we're scoring goals in that way. So it's going to be interesting to see if they've got that in them. Um, I, Jesus will be fit, won't he? I'm I'm guessing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll have enough. Uh, West Ham haven't been great recently, have they themselves? So I do think that there's enough in there for them to 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 finish off the chances. Uh, but I I I, sorry, yeah, I don't doubt them creating them. That's the thing. I don't doubt them creating them. It's it's the finishing off. It's it's a funny one for Arsenal, Luke, because. They will almost certainly be kicking the game off in massive scoreboard pressure. This is one of the things that happens at this point of year. It's reasonable to expect that Manchester City and Liverpool both win. Um, within that, therefore, Arsenal are kicking off and there is a deficit back again. And it, feel, it does feel a little bit like, well, this is where we were last week before we beat Liverpool. I think that could play a part in that as the game wears on, if it's not happening for Arsenal, they will need the win more and more as it grows. Yeah, I think it's important to mention the fact that they've lost the, um, the League Cup earlier in the season as well yeah. to West Ham. So I don't know whether the fact they've been beaten twice is a psychological edge, but with Arsenal, I just, even though they beat us last week, I still just don't see them as champions. I just don't think they've got the minerals. They just don't have. To, I've said it before, and I said it, I just, they haven't got that guy up front. They haven't got a, like a De Bruyne, a Salah. They just don't have that guy. And he might win against West Ham, but I just think come the end of the season, it's going to be Liverpool or City still. I think he'll play some nice football, but Jesus is, he'll score five really hard chances and miss six really easy chances. And I just think, I don't know what Arsenal are going to turn up. They've got a good record at West Ham. I think they've only lost one in the last 15 away at West Ham. 
But it, I can see it going another way as well. I can see the game going a different way where Moyes sets up really well and um, West Ham nick it. But then at the same time, we can see a 3-0 to Arsenal, to be honest. They haven't beaten a top 10 side away from home this season yet, you know. Which I, I did not know was, that. Which I think was pretty interesting. I think the interesting... I remember thinking this before they played Forest last week. They haven't actually beating the side by more than a goal away from home bar Bournemouth I don't think and that was when Bournemouth weren't weren't really the Bournemouth we know at the minute so it's it's interesting I think that I think West Ham are probably the key to this game because I think West Ham have been low key quite bad for quite a while they've, obviously they've missed a few players the African Nations I think Agard will be back I, thought, yeah. I can't remember if he played the other day but he's, he's, he's back, play, he's yeah. back. Kudos is, was also he's back, back but he's more there, you know, the obvious ones, Paqueta. Like it's, they miss Paqueta I, I just so think he's much. so good. I yeah. think he his ball it's not just his use of the ball when he gets rid of it, it's when he's on the ball and he can yeah. basically just put his foot on it, slow it down, hold on to the ball, get them five, ten yards up the pitch, which should be such an important quality in Massive a game like Massive needle on, as well. Yeah, yeah. He's got all that talent in needle. Yeah. Massive as well. Yeah. He's a big yeah. lad. And that that sounds ridiculous, but it makes a difference because you can just sort of throw one in against what Arsenal's midfield, which it's not, it's not going to fight you really, is it? Bar Declan Rice, like Udegaard's silky footballer, but if you get into him, I feel like you can probably sort of not necessarily get I think, in his no, head. No, I, I think they are quite. Sort of I think you're a bit, a bit harsh on Arsenal, but the one thing I do think, and Liverpool didn't reach that point, and I was quite frustrated because I thought it was just beginning to happen around the time of the mistake. It was, yeah. Is that you can firstly you can get in the heads about the shortcomings, but I think the other thing you can do as well is you can needle that Arsenal team. Yeah. That, and and Piquetta so, is such a needly bastard. Yeah. Sort of what I meant, I suppose. But yeah, there's. Like I'm, I'm like Luke. I think there's. I watch Arsenal and I'm like, I'm just not. It it feels a bit too like he's tried to make it a Manchester City spin off without having the things that make Manchester City what Manchester City are, and that's you know a clinical finisher. Whether it was Haaland or it was Aguero before, wasn't it? You know, a, a midfielder who's gonna really dominate teams. Like Udegaard is very good, but he's not De Bruyne, is he? He's just, he's just he just isn't. These they, they've got loads of good players. It just feels like they don't have that that X factor. They've got loads of players that I think could be that X factor over time. Like Saka could, Martinelli could, Udegaard could. Rice probably isn't that kind of player. But these players are there. They're just not quite there yet. They are very vulnerable in this one as well. Actually, just thinking about it because the win on Sunday only means something if they go and win this in a mentality point of view because you know that gets them back into it this one really brings them like right into the front of the of, of the equation of it and I think if they don't win the knock-on effect yeah. could be huge for that because I think there's a even though it won't be spoken about these players know that there's not going to be many more opportunities and, the, and they literally aren't playing Liverpool again. <laughs> there's also the, the previous results against West Ham which wasn't that long ago yeah. which would yeah. stick in the memory and they'd be thinking that Bring a bring a level of doubt, and I almost wonder if this might be a, a sort of a perfect game for their approach to work. West Ham, I don't, yeah. necessarily, I, I don't think they've been brilliant, but I, and I think they can set up well, and they can frustrate, and they can work hard, and they can maybe nick one on the break. Now, I, I, I for it's worth, I think Arsenal will actually win. Maybe. I think Arsenal. I win. think Arsenal win one 0 or two one something. Like I think it'll be a tight game. I don't think it'll be a cakewalk for them, but I can see you can see how. David Moyes West Ham side playing at home make this quite difficult for them that's not unreasonable uh, Villa Manchester United um, Villa looked dreadful uh, against Chelsea Phil uh, they looked like absolute idiots who'd never <laughs> played football before uh, and it's quite rare uh, you've been able to say that about Villa certainly up until around Christmas I think 
I wonder whether or not they've, they've just made the cardinal sin of looking crap on terrestrial telly here because everyone's seen it. A lot of people went into it maybe thinking they'd be the, the, the being able to point at Chelsea. To me, it looked like at times Chelsea were walking through them. I thought the centre-mids looked goosed for Villa. I thought they looked like they weren't at it at all and they played a lot of football uh, for them so far this season. I wonder if Emery needs to have a little bit of a think about this. Yeah, and then sort of Jacob Ramsey comes on, doesn't he? And he didn't look like the Jacob Ramsey of before his, he's had an injury, hasn't he? he? didn't look like that the player from before. It looked like he wasn't finding his way. Uh, Louise looked off it. Kamara just felt like... Kamara was really sloppy, I thought, the other day in terms of just when he was on the ball, he just kept making the bad decision or or just losing it. It was They just they just didn't look very good. I think results-wise, I think they, they played Sheffield United at a good time for how people think of them because everybody sees that thing. So they beat Sheffield United 5-0 and the game was basically over at half-time. Well, they'd won one game since December the 17th in the league without that game. That was a 3-2 win at home to Burnley when they needed a penalty in injury time. Now, that's not... That's not great. You know, there's a draw against Sheffield United. There's a defeat against Manchester United away from home <laughs> when you were two 0 up at half time, and you shouldn't be losing games of football from two 0 up if you want to be a if you want to be a Champions League team. That just shouldn't happen. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It should just shouldn't happen. There's a there's a draw away at Everton where, as we discussed before, Calvert Lewin probably should win that game for for Everton. There's Newcastle at home when Newcastle are the out of form team and just came and steamrolled them like it wasn't like it was a, a tight game Newcastle steamrolled Villa yeah. that night like if you just said to the if you just watched that and showed it to someone who didn't know what the league table looked like and said one of these is is eighth and one's third or third fourth, at the time yeah you'd have gone well it must be Newcastle that's that's how the gap between them and that gap that looked the same against Chelsea they just they looked wide open they looked really open they've been, they've been involved in games where there's lots of goals all season but they just looked like they were getting broke on constantly and this Manchester United team away from home like it feels like that's possibly one thing they're quite good at because they can they can just move the ball in a straight line with pace whether it's Garnacho whether it's Rashford I think Hoyland's quite quick as well yeah. although he's not sort of a renowned dribbler it, it just feels like this Manchester United team might be set up take advantage of what their weaknesses are yeah I think Villa at Goodison they reminded me a little bit for Everton fans it's they reminded me a little bit of Brighton a few years ago they came to Goodison he knocked it about a lot but then at the same time you think you can get at them even though they are, they are good in defence you think you know, we, like if we're creating chances against them Man United could certainly create chances against them I don't know if United are in them one of them little patches again where they look decent for 3-4 games and you know it's 10 arguing again but I don't know. I think an interesting stat I actually seen before, which I couldn't believe to be honest. Well, Man United haven't lost a game in the last twenty four games in February. So whether that has any bearing on the results, I don't know. But I just thought it was interesting. Isn't the last time they lost at Villa. Oh no, they've lost recently. They lost I was going to say they lost because I remember Coutinho scored. Yeah. It was also it was nearly, I think they've lost once since the you'll never win it with kids game. Yep, no, which I, is an absurd stat. I think also Villa have um, probably missed Pau Torres quite a lot. Huge. Yeah. I think is. <coughs> The way he just gets the ball and moves it, I think, is massively important to him. I'm not convinced on him from a defensive point of view, but I think from a on-the-ball point of view, he's a huge upgrade on Longley, who looks like just such a downgrade. So, it really yeah. harms them. Uh, and yeah, there's an expectation that Pau Torres might be in or... He's on the bench the other night, I think. Yeah, it all close to it for the next one. Um, so that that's possible that they get him back. 
I do. I, th- I think United win. I think another reason why I think United win this one through is I think that Luke Shaw's arguably their most important player. Mm. When I was doing before about the the points to point that pounds to points who's been missed the most, the other one that was in my head was Luke Shaw. I think he. I think he makes Rashford better, yeah. and then I think suddenly Manchester United have got a better Rashford, and then that kicks them on again another level. I think he he gets them. 30, 40 yards up the pitch all the time. He can pass it. He can carry it. He's strong, tends to win his battles. Sure, being back, I think, is just so, so important. Yeah, totally. I, I, I'm totally with you on, on that with Rashford as well, especially. I think that, that's the big thing, uh, attacking them in those areas. And I think, you know, you, you do see a bit more of a, an a, a efficient Marcus Rashford in terms of the way he dribbles, the positions he takes up when, when he does have a Luke Shaw there. And I think that's where that's where they can get a Villa. I, I thought they were so poor in the wide areas against Chelsea. Obviously, they give it away sloppily in midfield, but then in terms of closing down spaces out wide and things, they were they, they were awful at that. And I think United, you know, play play in that way in largely. You know, Garnacho's is that sort of player can go both ways inside and out, and I think that will that will cause them problems. Um, yeah, uh, th- th- there seems to be a bit more of like a, a you know a, a goal scoring threat all round from from United, which you know obviously you see in patches with them. But I think that's the that's the one bit of uh, uh, one bit of thing that's going to really make the difference. I think in, t- in t- terms of against Villa, I feel like Villa at the moment they just look a bit they just look a bit static and a bit slow in terms of everything they want to do, and I don't feel like. You know, Watkins gets in positions enough that he, 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 you know, this is based off the Chelsea game, but there wasn't enough get him in the positions you want Ollie Watkins to be in. Um, Not like he's doing other people's work. Exactly. Watkins, yeah. But, and, that's the, and I think that one of the things that's been the case since Emery's been in is he's been very between the posts, and that's why he's involved in so many goals. And all of a sudden, it looked to me like when I was watching the game, he's covering for this yeah. because someone else is covering for that, and suddenly it all looks out of whack because they're concerned. Yeah, totally. And then that stems from the midfield, doesn't it? It stems from everything around around him in that sense. And I thought, yeah. you know, I, I feel like. The lack of energy thing is a real worry, I think, coming against United because that midfield needs to be on it and that's the way to get at United. I think if you have that energy from that area of the pitch and you, you can get at them um, and press properly, uh, th- th- then you have a chance and Villa have the, the sort of quality to do that. But it didn't look like any of that midfield, other than John McGinn for a little bit, um, had that in them. They, they looked, you know, three, four yards slow to the press uh, almost every time. So uh, if, they can, if they can get that energy uh, back... Then, then, then they have a good chance, but I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Are we all famous Man United for this one? All three, all four of us think famous Man United are going to win. It is at it is at Villa Park, isn't it? It's so, at Villa Park. Yeah, I feel like I've been sucked in by Manchester United here, like and I'm. It's gonna, a concern place to be. I'm going to be sat there. But the February <laughs> thing. Yeah. Remember the, the February, February thing? thing. That's fair. I'm going to sit there at six thirty on uh, <laughs> Sunday evening and go, "What on earth does I think?" <laughs> It's, yeah, it's, I as mean, Ollie Watkins rounds, rounds the goalkeeper for his fourth. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just intrigued uh, that suddenly uh, this famous Man United based energy. Uh, it's good to hit. It's nice. It's change. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm sick of them being rubbish. Uh, <laughs> I say that, but I'm not. No, I don't want them to ever be good. I just want them to. You uh, want mediocrity? I want them. I, I, I mean, you know, as I've. It's I'll have one, them come fourth every year. Well, it's one of my, well, one of my favorite. It's back to my one of my favorite tweets, which is yeah, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, Man United back. Back in sixth place. Back in sixth. <laughs> is, is always, always, always a hit as far as I'm concerned. And Manchester United, uh, you know, I mean, let's hope West Ham win because then West Ham move into sixth and then United, if they beat Villa, they go back into sixth and then we can oh. say United are back, lads. The boys are back in town. Back in sixth place. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed to Luke, to Phil and to Fuad. Uh, everyone who we've just ripped off on the Twitter as well. And Jack Collins. See you later on. Sports Social Podcast Network.